All right. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Calvary Church. Uh, man, for you guys who went on the Philly trip, thanks for getting up here. Thanks for those of you who shared. Uh, man, I know for grown-ups, some of grown-ups would never want to get in front of people and say a word. And maybe some of you, you're like, man, I want to say 100 words. And maybe others of you, you didn't even want to say one word. But you did it. And so we're grateful for that. And thanks for your uh, honesty in sharing what you experienced. Thanks for going. Thanks for representing us and Jesus in, uh, you know, collectively together as a group, showing God's love and truth to other people. So we're grateful for that. Um, and if you guys are kind of at the end of your high school experience, um, man, it's really easy to throw on an awesome yellowish, khakiish shirt. Uh, man, and get in a van and do stuff, but if you're about to graduate or move on to other things and you're going to be, go be a cop or go to college or go start a skill or trade, man, my challenge uh, to you would be just don't disengage from Jesus. Uh, it's really easy once the youth group trips are done and you're on your own in your own environment um, to get distracted. And I would just challenge you, whatever God put in your heart this week for that trip, man, don't lose that and uh, keep holding on to God. So thank you uh, for showing us what God's doing at Calvary and for representing us well. So we're grateful for that. So, uh, and thanks to all of you. I mean, they could not have gone on it if a bunch of you did not financially support them. And so that is a big deal. And uh, when we allow God to work through us to impact other people in terms of support. The scripture says that you get the rewards of that. That's in Corinthians. That's not, that's, that's there, right? So man, all of you who supported part of the fruit that God sees you uh, having and crediting to you is what these guys did on the trip. So thanks to everybody. Thanks for the prayers. Thanks to whoever got those Krispy Kreme donuts at 4.30 in the morning that we could help support them. Um, and so thank you guys. And thanks for being here. We're going to jump into God's word. I'm going to pray and then we will move into it. Uh, Father, as has already been prayed, thank you for what you allowed to happen this week uh, or in the weeks ago in the Philly trip. And we're just grateful for the safety. We're grateful for the stories. We're grateful for how you met the folks who went on the team and the leaders. And so thank you, God, for your kindness and your sovereignty. And I pray that as we continue to move into your word, God, I just, uh, whatever the message is that you have for us this morning, Father, will you help remove distractions or anything that might keep us from hearing that? will I just be a conduit that you allow your word to be heard through me, Father, uh, and I just come humbly and ask you to do that, and we're thankful for the Holy Spirit, and we pray that Jesus will be honored, and it's in his name that we pray these things this morning. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, hey, every day, uh, you and I and we are bombarded with all sorts of different information, right? You're bombarded with all sorts of information. Some of it is like the most ridiculous piece of information about like how many hot dogs somebody ate at Coney Island at a hot dog eating tournament. Some of it is just random stats that you're tucking away for trivia night. And then there's sometimes there's pieces of information that, that come into you. Um, and you know, you, you, you can't just dismiss it, right? Your, your car, that's 20 years old, it's been making that noise, and you take it to your mechanic, and your mechanic calls you late in the day, and you can already tell by his tone it's not going to be good news. And he says, well, it wasn't just an oil change you needed, it was whatever. And you're like, okay, well, that doesn't sound bad. And he's like, well, it's going to be X amount of money. And you then have to process, like, okay, well, I've got some information, what am I going to 
do with it. You go to the doctor because your hip's been hurting and your doctor says, hey, you know what? I think it's time to get that hip replacement. It's a piece of information that you've got to process. Well, I've received some news. I've got some information. What am I going to do with it? Your boss calls you on a Monday. Just a word of advice in life. When your boss calls you on a Friday at about 4.30 afternoon, that is not good news. Just, just gird yourself, right? But when a boss calls on a Monday, that could be good news. And your boss calls you on a Monday, and man, you're, you're living in this area, and you got your kids, you got whatever you're doing, you got roots put down, and your boss calls you and says, hey, you've been doing some great work. We're thankful for what we do. We want to promote you. And not only do we want to promote you, but along with that promotion comes a transfer, and you've received some information that you've got to kind of process, man, what do I do with it? I read this morning, because every morning I have about five or six different uh, news platforms that I scroll through to catch up. And I, I read this morning this piece of news, this piece of news that apparently in Mississippi, there are verified pictures of Bigfoot in the woods. Ah, it's in the paper. It's, did somebody clap for that? <laughs> There is a secret closeted Sasquatch fan in our midst. This is remarkable, right? I read this piece of news that some hunter in Mississippi has captured footage of the amazing Sasquatch. Man, that's some news we got to process, right? That's some information we got to know what to do with. A lot of times in life, there's trivial, stupid stuff like Bigfoot that we got news about or information about or we learn something about, and we can just dismiss it. But then other times in life, there's more of those serious things, like hip replacements, like job transfers, like all sorts of other situations. And when we receive that content, that information, we got to do something with it. And what we choose to do with that information that we receive can shape and impact and direct what goes on in the course of our lives and the other chapters and the other seasons that, that come. And together, for almost a year, you and I, if you've been sticking around or watching on live stream or whatever, we have heard a ton of information from the book of Revelation. What we do at Calvary, if you're new or if you're visiting us, we, for years, have opened up the book of the Bible and we walk through it paragraph through paragraph. If we're done with that, we go to another book and do it again. And we've done that with Revelation. And over the course of almost 12 months, we have gotten so much content and so much information. But, right, information about charts and 666 and 144,000 and sealed here and six trumpets and seven seals and bowls and all. And the question as we're kind of winding this down is this. What, with all that content, all that information that we've received, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? How do we take it? What choice do we decide to do? And for you and me, just like some of the decisions we make about other information that we receive, our choice about what to do with everything that we've heard for the past 11 months, it is going to shape and direct and guide the different pathways and the different chapters and the different seasons of our lives going out of this place. What do we do with everything that we've heard? And, then, and that's Man, that's such a critical question for those of us who are Christians when it comes to any part of the Bible. There is, I think, um, an increasing, big word coming, dearth. Oh, it's a good word. There, there, there is. There's an increasing dearth, I think, of biblical uh, comprehension. I think that 
for better, I just think if you look back at generations before me, I mean, for better or worse, whether they believed it, whether they, man, there was an understanding of the book, right? I mean, people just had concepts, they understood stories in the Old Testament, they, they, they had an understanding, a biblical knowledge. And I think that in our culture today, in many ways, a lot of that has slipped by. And man, I would just encourage all of us who are parents in the room, it is our job, if we are believers, to make sure that our kids are being instilled with an understanding of the book. We don't outsource that to private schools. We don't outsource that to youth groups. We don't outsource that to Sunday morning sermons. All of those things can be resources, but they're resources to come along with what you are tasked and I am tasked with doing. There's a dearth of kind of just knowledge about the story and what's going on in the, in the Bible. And man, we need to take that seriously. But, but I think there's also something else out there that I, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it's more problematic, but it's problematic because for a lot of people, for a lot of us, for a lot of people sitting in whatever colored chairs they're sitting in this morning in a church, man, they know a lot about the Bible. I mean, they know a lot about the Bible. But the problem for that group is not how much they know. The problem is they're just not simply doing the things that the book tells them they should be doing. See, once we understand what the book says, I think that a lot of us were like, okay, we're done. We know what it says. But just, I mean, just imagine what would it be like if everybody who knew what the Bible said they should do in different situations and in different moments and in different relationships and in asking forgiveness and in caring for the poor and in not losing it, what if people actually simply tried to do by depending on the Holy Spirit what it was the book said they should do? Man, what kind of impact could cultures, uh, churches have in their culture, right? It's a critical question of what do we do with everything that we know? And so we're going to press into that thinking about Revelation. Our text today is going to be Revelation 22, verses 6 through 12. And we have like, man, we have like nine more verses left in the book of Revelation. I cannot wait to put on my resume, preach through the book of Revelation. If you're a pastor or in ministry, you'll understand why I'm geeking out so much about that, right? This is like, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself a plaque. I give this plaque to myself because we got through Revelation, right? Our text is going to be Revelation 22, verses 6 through 12. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see one big idea of what to do in light of the truth of Revelation and three ways to do that. One big overarching idea of what we do in light of the book of Revelation and then kind of three ways in which to do that, right? And, and this section that we're in, it's the epilogue, um, I don't know if you've ever, we talked last week about reading books. Sometimes you read a book and the story ends and then there's the epilogue. And it's kind of that thing that puts some of it in context and leaves you some final thoughts to try to wrap things up. It doesn't give any new content. It just kind of condenses the content. There is not really any new content in these verses that we're going to work through today. Rather, there's some challenges about what to do with everything that John himself has heard and everything that John himself has revealed. What do we do with what we've heard? So Revelation uh, 22, verses 6 through 12. I'm going to read it. And then we'll work through together. Uh, Revelation 6, 22, 6. And he said to me, he being an angel speaking to John, these words are trustworthy and true. 
And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, right, and now these are kind of the words of Jesus, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In these verses, in this epilogue section, there's been two phrases that have kind of bookended this content, right? Uh, Scripturally, when you got something said here, and something said here, right? It's kind of, it's, it's, it's putting the markers in the sand that, hey, this is the big idea. And then there's some stuff in here that's going to unpack it and work through it. But, but here's the big idea you need to grasp. And two different times in these few verses, the same line has been said in verse 7, right? We read the line that says, behold, I am coming soon. And then later on in verse 12, we heard the same phrase, the same phrase that says, uh, behold, I am coming soon. Two times in these few verses, Jesus has bookended this content with this statement of behold, I am coming back soon. Those verses are framing a conversation, and that conversation, that challenges, flow out of the fact that Jesus is coming back soon. Now, soon sounds like soon, right? You're like, yes, Beth, it's like soon, like, i.e., I hope you are done preaching soon, right? Soon sounds like quickly, but... but there's a nuance to this weird word that actually does, it it can convey that, but when it's used in these kind of contexts, when it's used throughout the New Testament, the the nuance of it is more, not like in 20 seconds, the nuance is at any time, at any time, right? Like if you are a parent and you have had a long day, and you are on the couch trying to catch up on a movie, or you're on your phone scrolling, whatever parents do. We, the very thing we tell our kids not to do, lose ourselves in social media. You are like, oh my gosh, Betsy's kid at a birthday party. La, 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 right? Well, or you're reading, or, right? and, you, and you've, you've been busy all day, and you're in your rest moment, and you hear a child somewhere in the house say something like, mom! Dad, I need help. I can't tie my shoes. And you say, you say this. You say, what do you say? This is what you say. You say, I'll be there in just a minute. You do not mean you'll be there in 60 seconds. You mean when I'm done relaxing and catching my breath, I'll be there. I'll be there in a minute. That minute, sometimes when I say it, it's like 49 minutes later, right? That, that's the idea of the word soon. It doesn't mean like right. It means at any time at any time. 
And you and I have studied all sorts of information in Revelation about what's going to happen before Jesus comes back. We've studied all sorts of information in Revelation about what happens when Jesus comes back. And what John is making the point of like, you've heard all that information, but listen, you need to live your lives in light of the fact that at any moment, Jesus could come back. He's saying, we've spent 20 chapters, well, not really 20, 18 or so, talking about everything that's going to happen according to the interpretation we've taken before Jesus comes back, everything that's going to happen when Jesus comes back, and he's saying, you have that content, but now what I'm telling you is you need to do more than just argue about the content. You need readers, Christians today, live your lives in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Here's the big opportunity. Here's the big challenge. Here's the big idea of what to do with all the content that we've heard as John's wrapping it down is this. Live in light of Jesus' return. Live in light of Jesus' return. Now, uh, if you're part of my generation or the generation before you, right, there was some... we, people who are old like me and older than me have probably had some grandmother or grace at some point say, oh, that movie doesn't really sound like it's a good movie to go see. Do you really want to be sitting in the movie theater watching that movie if Jesus comes back? I'm thinking, I mean, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> All right? I think Jesus will like Star Wars. It'll be okay, right? And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that, but, I mean, maybe we kind of have to say that, right? Maybe we kind of have to say, man, I've got my life, and i got the stuff that's important to me and the stuff that I'm doing and the focus, but when in any of that do I live in light of Jesus' return? What's the heart behind this? Because the heart behind this is not to create fear for Christians. The heart behind this is not to make you feel guilty. The heart behind this is not to be a legalistic straitjacket so that anytime you do anything fun, you're freaking out like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be having this donut because Jesus is going to come back and see powdered sugar on my face, right? That's not the heart behind this. Here's the heart behind this. If you're a Christian, there. We, we said it a lot over the years here. Man, God has made you in a unique, amazing, particular way. There is nobody else like you. Thankfully, people who know me will say, I'm glad there's nobody else like you, Smith. There is nobody else like you. You are unique. You have a personality. You have a gift set. You have a sphere of influence. You have relationships. You have a story. And you have value. And there are ways that with all of that, God wants to use every single person in this room. God wants to use you. Now, and he's put you in a place where he's either preparing you for the way in which he wants to use you, But at the same time, in that place, he's either preparing or you're in the exact place, in the exact moment, in the exact spot where God's like, bro, broette, I have crafted you for this moment, right? I created you in advance for the good works that I want you to do. And you are in that spot Will you do them. 
will you do them? Now, God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He doesn't. I sometimes think we hear this and we're like, man, I'm really doing God a favor. That No, uh, wrong. What God knows is this. God knows that, man, there is, va- there is uh, a sense of satisfaction that often comes when we humbly realize, man, I am so grateful that God is choosing to use me in this way. There is many times, not all the times, a humble satisfaction that comes when we realize, wow, what an honor that in this moment God has allowed me to do something that has an in, had an impact on somebody else's life. And God wants you to experience that satisfaction, that fulfillment, that joy, that completeness, that wholeness of being used by him. And if he's got things for you to do and wired you to do those things and positioned you to do those things, and if we don't know when Jesus is coming back, then, then the flood of the inference behind this is, man, don't procrastinate. Why, what are you waiting for? Uh, you know, Casey, my wife, travels for work or she, for different reasons, you know, like she just came back from dropping the kids, kids off of college. And so that means that I'm on Bachelor duty, daddy duty, dog duty, okay? And let me give you a little peek behind the scenes. Here's the peek behind the scenes. That means that for about, uh, depending on how long she's gone, the first three quarters of that period of time, there are dishes all around the sink. There is laundry that's some clean, some not, just kind of, there's this couch that I just think once it comes out of the dryer, it should be dumped on the couch. There is this couch with mounds of laundry on it, right? There is dog hair, because we have this yellow dog Ford, who you will meet. I'm going to bring him up next week and let him run around the church, just so you know he's real. Uh, no, I'm not. Um, man, dog hair wafting everywhere, okay? But then there comes a moment where it's like the day that Casey's coming back, and if she's driving or even flying, I don't exactly know when she's going to show up. But I do know, if she shows up and it looks like this, she, she, won't, be mad. she won't be mad. But you know what? She's not going to feel honored. She's not going to feel like, like, dude, didn't you know I was coming back? Like, what? You didn't, you didn't want to get things ready for me? Right? And so, in that moment, I have a choice. My choice is, do I just sit here a few more hours and play online chess or Fortnite? Or... Do I get up and get a clean because she could roll in the driveway or land at Bradley or LGA at any time, and I got to be ready, right? Man, Jesus could roll in at any time. If he's given us an opportunity to do something, why would we want to miss out on what he wants us to do? We live in light of Jesus' return, but let's smash that down a little more practically. This is what that means. You know what it means? It means we got to be purposeful, prioritized, and prepared. That is the closest I will ever come to a Southern Baptist pastor right there. The three Ps. Purposeful, prioritized, and prepared. And so, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, living in light of Jesus' return, and we're supposed to be purposeful, we're supposed to, that means you know, this idea of we live in light of return by being purposeful, prioritized, prepared. Man, if you're a Christian, like, are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we doing that as a church? If you were to make a list, like, 
Get you a piece of paper, this old thing called a piece of paper and a pen. Or do it on your iPhone notes, whatever. Make a list. And on one side, you were to say, man, here's ways that I'm doing that. Here are ways that by depending on the Holy Spirit as a joy to serve God, as I look over my life at this moment, here are some things that I can say that I'm doing because, man, if Jesus comes back, I want to live in light of that. I want to live in light of my challenge to expand his kingdom. Here are some ways I'm being purposeful, prepared. What would be on that list for you? What would be bullet points on that side of the list? But then if on the other side of the list you put, here are some ways I'm not living in light of Jesus' return. Here are some ways that I'm not being purposeful, prioritized, prepared. What might be on that side of the list? This isn't to be legalistic. This isn't to be grumpy. This is to say you are wired by God to be used by him in unique ways for the good of his kingdom. And right now in my life, what would the list look like of how I'm doing that or how I'm not doing that? What are you purposeful about? What are you purposeful about? What are you prioritizing. And as you think about what I'm purposeful about, as you think of what I'm prioritizing, how many of those purposeful priorities have anything to do with the gospel and God's kingdom? In my life, right? How many of my priorities or the things that I'm purposeful about have anything to do with the gospel or kingdom-related things? And I had a great conversation with somebody earlier this week, and I think what we do in Christianity a lot is when we think about, okay, well, what am I doing for God's kingdom? We, we, we ramp up that, man, if I'm not doing something like extraordinary, then I'm falling short. Man, many times the place we faithfully live out God's kingdom is in the ordinary, mundane tasks of regular life as ordinary people. But in the ordinary, mundane tasks of ordinary life as ordinary people, we are prioritizing simple things that can make a huge impact for God's kingdom. When, love your neighbor. Have you ever heard that? I mean, it's in the book. Easy to say. Actually, it's kind of easy to do. Man, how well are we doing that? How well are we loving the people who are physically in proximity to us? We do not need to sell everything to be kind and gracious and show Jesus to our neighbors. As we think about how we do this, then the rest of the few verses that John gives us helps. It's like, okay, y'all don't need to guess. I'm going to give you three things to help you do those things. And so the first we see in verse 7 where it says this, right? Behold, I'm coming soon. <clears throat> Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That word keeps has two connotations. This means y'all don't change it, guard it, protect, but it also means obey. Obey. What he's saying is, behold, I am coming soon. Live in light of that. Be purposeful. Be prioritized. Be prepared. And one way that you can do that is, man, keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Obey. Obey. And so, what in Revelation do we obey? Well, the first, there's little snippets to it, but the first two, to th two chapters th up to about chapter 3, I mean, they are instructions to Christians in local churches. 
about what God, how God wants us to live together in community, what God wants us individually to be doing, what God wants us collectively to be doing. Man, what he wants a church to be known for, what he does not want a church to be known for. And there are so many nuggets in those first few chapters written to the seven churches that are practical things for you and I to do as we live life together. And if we're like, okay, well, what am I supposed to keep it up? Man, I'd encourage you over the next couple of weeks, reread those chapters. Reread those chapters and think about what can I do as a member of Calvary Church to help, to help be the kind of church that God wants? What should I not be doing so that it doesn't drift to the church God doesn't want? Lots of instructions for churches, but in, in, there's also just this broad general idea of like, keep it. It's just like, man, just obey what Jesus tells you to do not legalistically, not through your own power, but in this realization like the king loves me, the king has died for me, the king has rescued me, the king through his spirit empowers me, and man, I want to live well in light of what Jesus has done for me as giving worship back to him. Obey. Not to make God love us because of the immense way in which God already loves us. I read this quote by one of the commentators, and, and they said this um, coming out of that. God does not command believers to read Revelation merely to satisfy their curiosity about the future. He did not inspire it to provide material for detailed chronological charts of end times events. God inspired revelation for one purpose, to reveal the glory of his son and to call believers to live godly, obedient lives in light of his soon return. The king is coming. And the king, and that is amazing news. And the king could come at any time. And this isn't out of fear. This is like, man, let's, let's, let's show them that, hey, we're, we're ready for you to come. We've been looking forward to this. Let's not miss out on a way that God may want to do incredible things in your story because you're not prioritizing what he might want you to do. What's another way that we live in light of Jesus' return? Verses 8 and 9 tell us, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. The angel says, don't do that. I mean, but then the angel says this, worship God. As John was processing, he's had now, however long he's received all these visions, however long he's been in solitary confinement and God's been inspiring this book and he's had these visions and he's done this thing, as he's gotten to the end of it and he's realized, man, he's just told us about the new heaven and the new earth. He's just told us about no more tears, no more sinus. He's just told us about all the nations coming to this place with amazing unity and, and what God has in store, right, in the world to come in eternity. He's just heard that, oh, and by the way, the king can come at any time to make that happen. And in light of those things, you know what John does? He falls on his face and he worships. He's so moved. He's a dude in solitary confinement on an island by himself. He doesn't know what the future holds in his story. He's got friends across the little bay that he can see the tip of the land who are being persecuted for their faith. Things are going crazy in his world, and he hears this reality of hope and things to come, and he falls down at his feet and worships. In light of the king coming and in light of everything that's associated with the king's return, he 
falls on his face and says, I want to give you worth. I want to give you worth. I, I, I don't even want to stand here. I'm not worthy to stand here. Thank you. Thank you. Worthy. 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 What we can do to be people who are living in light of Jesus coming to prioritize is what John challenges us to do, what the angel says to do, second opportunity to be prepared and purposeful and prioritize is worship. Worship. Um, I've said this a lot. Probably every three weeks <clears throat> in some different way that I've hidden with ridiculous stories about dogs and forerunners and pizza and coffee. Um, <clears throat> I've said this a lot. The way that I'm living today and the way that you're living today is a direct indicator of what you worship. For over a decade at Calvary Church, building upon what has been said for over a century at Calvary Church, what we worship is the pivotal foundation for everything in our lives. What we, and I know you've heard me say it, and some of you are like, okay, worship, he's going to talk about worship, I'll zone out, think about how, look, I, we say it because it's true, and if you're sick of hearing it, maybe it's because God needs to remind me of that. What I think is most important and meaningful and worthy, what you think is most important and meaningful and worthy is what you worship, and what you worship determines everything that you do. It's theological, but it's true. If you think you are the most important thing in the world, man, that shapes everything that you do. If you think comfort is the most valuable thing and the most meaningful thing and the most satisfying thing, that shapes decisions that you make. And we can go down the list. What you think is most meaningful and is most important is what you worship, and what you worship shapes everything that you do. It's true. And I won't, um, I, I'm not going to say that a lot more to you, but here's what I'd love for you to do. You guys are taking awesome diagnostics in all sorts of different areas. Man, would you just be willing sometime to find 10 minutes this week to do a diagnostic in your own life of what you're worshiping? Would you just do that? Would you just not try to find the newest, fanciest devotional book to give you feelings? Those are fine, Okay. Would you just take 10 minutes to get quiet, to try to access, uh, assess what you are worshiping? What things did I do this week, this month? What things did you do this week or this month that are God-honoring? Okay, well, what do those things perhaps reveal about what you worship? And then the flip side, what did you do this week or this month that are not God-honoring? What might those things reveal about what you worship? Because they reveal something. And what God says is, look, I sent my son to rescue you. And I am going to fully rescue you and complete you at the end of the day. And I adore you. I adore you. And I want you to obey me because it's what's best for you because I don't want you to see yourself stumble in all sorts of ridiculous ways because you do ridiculous things. God is for you. And because of that, 
What the angels sang is, man, worship him. Don't worship your reputation. Don't worship how Christian other people think that you are. Don't worship whether they think you're the best parent ever. Look, just be careful. I am going to say this, and I think that I'm right. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll buy a cup of coffee. If I'm wrong, I'll tell you to come to Calvary Church and get a free cup of coffee on this, okay? Listen, listen, can I tell you something? Your kids are amazing. If you're a parent, did you hear me say that? What did I just say about your kids? No, no, come on, tell me with passion. Did everybody hear everybody say that I said their kids are amazing? I do not want my last week at Calvary to get an email saying, I can't believe Peter insulted my kid. I'm glad he's leaving. Your kid is amazing. But your kid is never going to play professional baseball. He's not, she's not, they're not. It's true. It may not be true, I'm not prophetic, but it's probably true. Just be careful. In formative years, running your life and your priorities around this thought that your child is the next Reggie Jackson. Some of you don't even know who he is. That's your loss. <clears throat> They're not. But some of us, man, we're worshiping sports in our kids' lives. Sports are great. I would not be the leader that I was if it was not. I think, actually, my basketball coach is sitting here. I would not be the leader that I am. And I may not even be a good leader. I don't know. Probably, a, well, I would not be who I am if it were not for sports in high school. I wouldn't be. Sports are good. But I ain't playing for the Boston Celtics. I'm just saying. Be careful looking back over your life and you reach a point saying, man, for the past three years, every single night, every single weekend, every single Sunday, we were at some soccer field or baseball field. Be careful what we worship and prioritize. And then the text tells us, man, some of y'all are going to be like, I'm glad that clown's leaving. Some of us <clears throat> tell us one last thing to do to live purposeful, prioritized life in the way of Jesus' return. And we see that in verse 10, right? Verse 10 says this. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book for the time is near. Do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book for time is near. Um, I am super excited because I will never get it. But guess what's coming in 2024? Yes. Okay, I'll tell you because this will take forever. In 20, I have a Toyota 4Runner. 4Runner's great. You know what are really great? Toyota Land Cruisers. Yes, guess what is coming in 2024? The newly revamped, released Toyota 4Runner. Oh, I'm worshiping that thing. Forgive me, Father. Okay, listen, listen. That, you know, they've shown us what that looks like, so you can Google right now. But have you ever, like, heard about the new F-150 is coming in 2027? And they don't show you what it's like, right? Or the new iPhone 99 is coming. And all they show you, and then what happens when an iPhone's released or like when a new truck is released? There'll be this really cool lit stage and a dude in like black skinny clothes. And there on the stage is this sheet over this object underneath it. Because today is car and drivers reveal the brand new 2020 toy of, you know, F-150. And what they do in this very dramatic moment is they pull the sheet off. Whoosh, and everybody gets to see finally what the F-150 for 2027 looks like. And cheers and crowds go. And then they market the snot out of the thing, right? But before that is marketed, they keep that thing hidden. 
I read uh, yesterday on one of my Twitter feeds or some feed that apparently Elon Musk is making an electric truck that he's working on. But this is, this is a true example. He doesn't want anybody to know what that looks like. And so over it, he has this thing camouflaged like a normal F-150, right? So when you're trying to spy on it, he's got all this stuff on it that makes it look like this normal F-150, but underneath it is this Tesla truck. And one day he's going to rip that fake cover off it, and he's going to reveal what's there. And once somebody reveals what they want you to see, the new truck, the new iPhone, you know what they do, you know what they do, they market the snot out of it. They don't keep it hidden anymore, right? They want everybody to know about it. You know what this is saying? Do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book. They're saying, look, don't, don't, don't put a sheet over this. Don't put a cover over this now, John, people in the early churches, people at Calvary. Don't keep this sealed up. What you need to do is, man, you need to pull the sheet off of this. And the truth that has been in this book and the truth of the gospel, what he's saying is, man, don't seal it up. Instead, proclaim it. Tell it. Share it. Don't keep it hidden. Don't curtain over it. Nobody can see it. Rip it off. And then, man, make it known, and promote it, proclaim it. One way to, final way, right, to be purposeful and live in light of it is this way, proclaim. Proclaim. And he tells us why, for the time is near. God does not want anyone to perish but that everyone will come to salvation. And what he's saying is, hey, person on the blue chairs who believes in me, it, man, why are you keeping it covered? Why are you keeping it, why are you trying to hide it? Now, I'm not necessarily saying be a moron, right? Like a good test, just don't be morons, Calvary, okay? If I hear in five years, y'all a bunch of morons, I'm going to come like, I don't know what I'm going to do, okay? Just don't be morons, but don't be passive. There's a wide range between being a moron and how you engage people with the truth of the gospel and being passive. And you have all of this room to play with. Proclaim because the king is coming back soon. And for people who believe in the king, this is an amazing, joyful moment because we will not live by faith anymore. We will live by sight. But what God is inferring is, hey, but the flip side is also true. Because for a lot of people who don't know about the king, the moment's gone. And it's too late. And despite what Rob Bell or others will say, they're, according to Scripture, they ain't going to be this last-minute cattle call. The time is near. We've talked about this a lot. Look, and, and um, I, I am going to enter a season where I'm going to get to listen to my own, I, where I'm going to have to figure out how I'm doing this because I'm about to go where most of you guys are. When I'm a pastor, I have a, I, this, is e this, is, this is easy for pastors to proclaim because people expect you to talk about Jesus, right? People randomly, when they hear you're a pastor, it's amazing what people tell me. I'm like buying eggs at ShopRite. 
And like, oh, you know, oh, look at Calvin. Oh, you're a pastor. Well, let me just, I'm like, bro, I do not know you. You just told me 22 years of your worst sins, right? <laughs> Pastors have a hall pass. It is easy for us to talk about. It's, it's been easy for me because I'm a pastor. But as I try to pastor people in a new season in a different way coming up in the year, man, I'm going to need to talk, think about, am I doing the very things I've challenged you guys to do for a decade? How well are we doing at proclaiming it? Literally, we've talked about this a lot. We've had you write names. We've asked you to pray for people. And, and a lot of you have. And that's amazing. But man, for the rest of us, why are we keeping this thing covered up under some blanket and not letting people know it? And, and, and there's this other verse that's a little odd, and I'll invite the worship team um, to come up here as we move to the next part of our service. There's this last uh, phrase in verse 11 where it says, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be faithful and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Now this is like interesting. It's not a command to do evil. It's not a command to still be filthy. What this is, right, this follows off that last line that the time is near. What this saying is there is going to be a moment when these categories are fixed. There is going to be a moment when the people who are trapped in their sin, right, will be trapped in their sin, and that will be the category that defines them for all eternity, and there will be the consequences for all of eternity. And there will come a time when the people who are righteous because of Jesus' imputed righteousness to them, man, they won't have sin anymore. They will be in that category. And it's just this idea that reiterates, look, once Jesus comes back, the categories are locked. So what are we procrastinating for? What are we delaying? If, look, if you're like, bro, I don't think this is true. Like, I mean, that's, I'm glad you're here. Like, literally, one of the joys of my life is for people who have come to Calvary and be like, I don't really believe it, but, I mean, I keep coming. That's amazing. If you don't think this is true, you'd have no reason to proclaim it. Why are you going to? But if you think that this is actually true, why are you not proclaiming it? Do you think it's like literally just for a minute? I, don't answer. Don't do anything awkward. <laughs> do you think it's true? Seriously, ser seriously. Do you th I used to have an elder in Savannah. He'd be like, seriously? Okay, like seriously? Do you think it's true? You don't have to answer it. That's awkward. Because <laughs> somebody's going to be like, no. Okay. If you really think it's true, then why are we afraid of letting people know what we think is true? It's either because maybe we really don't think it's true. Or perhaps it's because we think it's our responsibility to save somebody. Had an like same person had an amazing conversation where they said two times in my office, it's not my job to save people. Only God can do that. That's right. And you're not God. What we can do is tell what we think is true. Why, why aren't we doing that? Man, what's going to have an impact on Calvary Church is 500 years from now, okay, when we're all dead, What's going to have an impact on Calvary Church ultimately in the way that Calvary impacts its community is not what songs we sing, not what preacher they have preaching. It's going to be what the people of Calvary Church are doing when they leave Calvary Church and their relationships in their communities. You guys are the best evangelistic strategy for Calvary Church. 
Imagine three, four hundred people going to tell one person. Man, proclaim. Proclaim. Would you be willing to pray again about whom you could do that with? Would you be willing when God gives you a moment just to speak truth and love? Don't be a moron. Hear me? Don't be passive. Don't be passive. And for those of you who, just because we sit on blue chairs does not mean we're necessarily, man, holy and righteous because of Jesus. Because what makes us holy and righteous because of Jesus is not what a good churchgoer you are. It's not. What makes us holy and righteous before Jesus is how we've responded to Jesus. And there's sin that separates us from God that we can do nothing about. And Jesus died in our place as a substitute to be punished for our sin and to give to us his righteousness. And how we respond to that gift, if we in faith by grace respond to it and say, man, I believe that you did that for me, Jesus. You have taken my sin, been punished for my sin, so that I never have to be eternally separated from God, so that I can be righteous and forgiven and not have any shame and not have any guilt because of Jesus. That's what makes you a Christian. And if you've not, then it doesn't matter how many weeks in a row you come and you sit on a blue chair with your teeth brushed and your hair combed. And I would just challenge you, if you've spent a lot of your life sitting on a blue chair with your teeth brushed and your hair combed, playing the Christian walk, man, we're glad you come, but hey, just be a little sobered and assess and ask yourself, how have I responded to the truth of Jesus? Have I? And for those of you who have responded to the truth of Jesus, we have a way to remind ourselves that it's not about us, it's about him. And we have a way to grab onto something and to hold something in a mix of people who are different than us but who are all united by the work of Jesus for us on the cross, and that's through remembering the Lord's Supper. Through a little wafer on top of a prepackaged package that represents the body of Christ and juice that represents his blood. And so for those of us who've responded in faith to Jesus, this is a way until he comes for us to remind ourselves the faith in which we have. And so the worship team is going to lead us, and I'm going to invite you to take a moment in your seat and just reflect. Man, maybe for some of us a moment of sober reflection of like, am I just playing this game? And maybe for some of us like, man, I'm so glad that my relationship with God doesn't depend on me. I'm glad it depends upon what God has done for me. And then when you're ready and as you're ready, I invite you to come forward and take a package of the elements and return to your seats. And then once everybody's gotten in and back at their seats, I'll come back and we'll take them together. So take a moment and then let's worship.